all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. Well, friends, as I said today, we begin a new sermon series. And this sermon series, we're, we're going we're gonna to draw it out. Um, we've got a lot to unpack over the next several weeks. Um, and we're going to take this sermon series clear through the season of Lent, where we're going to drill down on who it is we are called to be in Christ Jesus, how we are called to live, and the, who we need to be in order to live the life that Christ has called us to. But today I'd like to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to be in chapter 10, and I'll read verses 17 through 22 if you want to follow along. So Mark chapter 10, 17 through 22. And this may sound familiar to you, but hear these words of the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you for your scriptures, um, the ways you reveal yourself to us in and through them. I pray, God, that you would speak to us, speak your truth into our hearts, that we may know you and love you more, that we may be transformed. All in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, if you were with us, we wrapped up our previous sermon series talking about uh, belief. We talked about our belief in Jesus Christ, our foundational beliefs in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And last week we ended by talking about putting our belief into action. What do we do with our belief? We're called to live it out. But this week we kind of build off of that. You know, we know we're called to live out our faith. We know we are called to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But I think, how do we do that? What does that look like? And maybe most importantly, who do we need to be in order to fully live out the life that Christ has called us to? That's what we're going to dig into in this sermon series we're calling After We Believe. After we've made that decision to follow Jesus, what next? And for many of us, that, that brings up the question of you know, purpose, of meaning in our lives. You know, What truly are we here for? What is it that we are made for? Well, we've spent right, the entire last month focusing on belief, spe specifically on, on what it is we say we believe as followers of Jesus. And we looked at the Apostles' Creed, that most foundational statement of our belief. But at some point, each and every one of us has to really wrestle with what it is that we believe. You know, Maybe you've experienced this in your life, but the, the faith of our parents or our grandparents will not sustain us throughout our lives. At some point, each and every one of us has to wrestle with what it is that we believe. 
right? To work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as, as the Apostle Paul says. And in a world with so many differing and competing worldviews, the, the importance of really wrestling through that, I think, is compounded. So we spent the month of Jan- January focusing on getting back to those base, basics of Christian belief. Here's what Christians hold as truths. Here's what we believe. The trouble, though, is that, that many people, especially in our you know, modern Western American culture, find it way too easy to get the idea that we can simply believe in Jesus and then really do nothing else. Many have so emphasized the need for conversion for the first act of faith and commitment. And I'm not downplaying conversion. Conversion, right? It's the first step. It's, it's hugely important. It's the first step. But we can emphasize it to the point where we totally disregard the rest of the Christian life. You know, we, we emphasize that first, first faith commitment, the initial statement of that faith, you know, believing that Jesus died for me, even me. And then we end up having this huge gap in our vision of what being a Christian fully entails. A few weeks ago, we talked about the metaphor of, of a person standing on one side of a deep, wide river looking across the river to the, to the bank on the other side. You know, on this bank, we declare our faith. On the far side, the opposite bank is the ultimate goal, you know, final salvation itself. But what are we supposed to do in the meantime? You know, do we just stand on this bank of belief and, and just wait? Is there not a bridge between the two banks? And then thinking about it in that way, what does that say about belief itself? I think if we are careful in that instance, belief can become just simply an assent to, the, to some sort of proposition without the need for transformation. Transformation. That's where we get into the thick of things, right? We, we move, in, in the process of transformation, we move from the milk of our spiritual infancy to the meat of mature, Christ-like life. Transformation is what happens as we cross the bridge that spans that wide river. That wide river, that bridge that is called, right, the rest of our lives. So last week we ended the previous sermon series by talking about the relationship between faith and works. How they cannot be separated. That faith without works, as James says, is dead. We believe that salvation is solely by God's grace. It's solely God's doing through faith in Jesus Christ. But we also acknowledge that Jesus made some pretty tough moral demands on His early followers. You know, so often we get caught, you know, Salvation is what God does, without a doubt. But once we come to belief, we find Jesus making all of these pretty stringent moral demands on His followers. That we're called to live a certain way. That we're to act and to be in accordance with Jesus' teachings and life. You know, Jesus Himself... And then backed up by all of the early Christian writers, he speaks repeatedly about the development of a particular kind of character. Throughout this sermon series, we're going to focus on the transformation of character. 
on the nature of the character that Jesus calls us to and on how we are to go about cultivating that character as individual followers of Jesus, but as a church community called to be the body as well. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So we're going to be discovering what it is that we are called to be and to do after we believe. But I think just to, to give an overview of this sermon series, there are two really important consider, considerations that we need to take into account as we move into this sermon series, and, and which this series is intended to, to address. The first concerns our ability to make moral decisions. Right? As, as followers of Jesus, we, we have to choose between what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's not. Belief in Jesus should have something to say about that, right? So, so how, how do we as followers of Jesus make moral decisions? And we could expand that. How does anyone, Christian or not, know what is right and wrong? Are there such things as right and wrong? Or is life just more complicated than that? Are there rules, like capital R rules? And how do they relate to real people? You know, to us as real people than just seeing ourselves as just these machines, these moral machines. Well, there seems to be two ways of viewing moral decision-making in our world today. And I think they're, they're seemingly either, you know, the, the dangerous, quote-unquote, dangerous relativism that thinks that there are no black and white moral questions. There are only shades of gray. And for those... You know, the most important thing is to be true to oneself. How many, how many times do we hear that, right, in our world around us? So that's on, on one side. But the second view is of just cold, hard legalism, right? Black and white lists and rules. But these two views of, of you know, Christian moral decision-making show up in just about every sphere of our faith lives, right? From private conversations. How many private conversations have you had where it devolves into one of these two views? We either follow the rules or we follow our hearts. From private conversation to even broader church-wide interdenominational gatherings across the span of the entire universal church. But we even have those conversations in, I would call them debates, within our own individual hearts and minds. But is there another way of understanding how we are to be and to live as followers of Jesus? Then there's a second consideration. You know, maybe some or all of you can relate to being so incredibly excited when you first came to faith, like when you cho first chose to follow Jesus, when you first entered into belief, right? Everything is new. Everything's exhilarating. You know, reading the Bible is new and it's fun. You've got this new group of friends. You can't spend enough time just devouring those stories in Scripture. Maybe you even start praying regularly. You just jump headfirst into every group Every volunteer opportunity, every service opportunity, everything is just blissful, fantastically wonderful. But then the newness, 
the exhilaration and the excitement, they begin to wane. Prayer and Scripture reading become somewhat of a chore. And you find yourself devoting less time to volunteering and to service. It's like we're just stuck on the near bank of the river, wondering how to get to the other side. And and you you think that while thinking, you've already made the decision, right? Everything should just be blissful and wonderful. And you wonder, what am I supposed to be doing with all the time in between my initial faith and that promised future? You know, what am I here for? Throughout this series, we're going to be looking at the answer to these questions. You know, how do we make moral decisions? Do we have to choose between a system of rules, which we just need to hammer out and agree on, and a system of finding out who we really are and being true to it? Are there, are there other ways, not only of discovering how we should live, but of actually living that way? What are we here for? What happens after we believe? Well, the answer, I think the bridge across the Great Divide, is character. Another word we could use is virtue. Character is the transforming, shaping, and marking of a life and its habits. And character will generate the sort of behavior that that rules might have pointed to, but which a a rule-keeping mentality could never achieve, right? We can keep all the rules sometimes and never get to the heart of the issue. And I think character will produce the sort of life which will be true to itself. Absolutely true to itself. Though the self to which it will be true is the redeemed self. The transformed self. And not merely the the discovered self of, of much thought today. What matters today And what matters after we believe isn't just rules or spontaneous self-discovery, but character, virtue, the life we are called to in Jesus. So we see this played out in the Gospel of Mark, in this passage I read, in a very stark way. I would say even in a somewhat frightening way. In chapter 10, we encounter the story of this rich young man running up to Jesus with a question he just cannot wait to ask, right? There's a sense of urgency as we read this. He just cannot wait to ask. He says, good teacher, right? He acknowledges Jesus as a teacher, and he's good. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he wasn't asking what he must do to get to heaven when he dies, For first century Jews, eternal life meant the age to come. Meaning, the time when God would bring heaven and earth together. The time when God's kingdom would come and His will be done on earth as in heaven. This young man, he's asking Jesus, he's asking Jesus, when when that happens, you know, the coming together of heaven and earth, will I be a part of it? How can I be assured? He's asking, what kind of person must I be in the present if I'm going to be part of the new age? If that's the goal, what is the path that leads me there? He's asking both, 
what he should do and how he should do it. So Jesus answers, you know the commandments. You know what they say. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. You shall not defraud. And you should honor your mother and father. Well, he says to Jesus, well, I've, I've, I've kept all of those. I've kept all of those since I was a boy. It's ingrained in me. You'll notice from what Jesus lists there, from the Ten Commandments, right? From the Ten Commandments. You may also notice, though, that Jesus only lists the last six of the Ten Commandments. And these last six of the Ten Commandments have to do with how we are to relate to other people. The young man says, I, I do that. I've kept those. But what about the other commandments that are conspicuously absent from Jesus' list? You know, the remaining four commandments have directly to do with how we relate to God. First four commandments about how we relate to God. Last six commandments, how we relate to other people. Jesus leaves out these four commandments that have specifically to do with how we relate to God. Specifically with regards to keeping the Sabbath, but most importantly, I think, with avoiding idolatry and honoring His name. And His name alone. Jesus doesn't quote those commandments. Instead, I think He pierces this young, rich man's heart by bringing those commands directly into conflict with his life. So Jesus then says that there is one thing that this man lacks. And if he wants to be complete, he must get rid of all of his possessions, sell them, and give the money to the poor. Then Jesus says, and I think this is the most important part, follow me. Follow me. You know, this young man, he, he wanted to know what he should do and how he should do it. The answer to both of those questions is, follow me. Follow me is the what you, we should be doing. Following Jesus is the how we should be doing it as well. Of course, we know the young man, he walks away sad because he had a lot at stake. There's a lot to lose by following Jesus. You know, this passage is most definitely about how we are to understand wealth. But understanding wealth within the context of idolatry. You know, it just so happens that, that wealth can too easily become an idol to any one of us. And apparently for anyone across all time, right? Let's think 2,000 years ago. But you notice what happens here. The young man, what's he, what's he seeking? He's seeking fulfillment. Right? He wants his life to be whole. He wants his life to be complete. Complete in the present so that it can be complete in the future promise that Jesus has made. He knows he is still lacking something. And he's looking for that something. He's looking for the goal. He's looking for completion. Jesus, though, tells him that he needs to be turned inside out, upside down. 
He needs to be transformed to where he becomes part of God's larger kingdom-building purposes. That he needs to put God's kingdom first and to put his neighbor, particularly his poor neighbor, before his own fulfillment. You know, taking all of this into account, here's the rub from this passage. You know, here's the real challenge. The challenge is not just to add one or two more commandments to our lives. You know, one or two more rules that we can follow, that we can check off the list. And it's not just to set the moral bar or draw the line a bit higher. The real challenge is to become a different sort of person altogether. To be transformed. Jesus is challenging this rich young man and us to a transformation of character. To be turned inside out. To be completely made new. You know, Jesus wasn't calling him to, to follow some hard and fast rules, right? He was already doing that. He was following the commands, right? But he knew he was still lacking. And Jesus wasn't encouraging him to, to follow his own heart or to follow his own dreams, right? He was already doing that too, right? And he was miserable. But he called him to a transformation of character that I think is both radically different from what the world knows, but that also makes sense of all human life and existence in a way that nothing else does. You know, you ask me why I'm a follower of Jesus, because it makes sense of all human existence. Everything. So what does this look like? To have our character transformed. Well, I'll tell a story by way of kind of analogy, metaphor. Many of you have heard the name Chesley Sullenberger. Um, he's a pilot, right, who they made a movie about, Tom Hanks movie, a few years back. I, I was just kind of captivated by this story. I haven't seen the movie, but the story itself I'm just kind of captivated by, and I've, I've thought about it, and I especially think about it a lot because we have a cat, my wife and I have a cat that's his name's Sully, and he's, in fact, named after Sully Sullenberger, right? Chesley Sullenberger. I, I don't know. It was before Kira and I met. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with it. But on January 15, 2009, a flight took off from LaGuardia in New York City. But after two minutes in flight, the plane, it flew into a flock of Canada geese. And Canada geese, Canadians, like a flock of them... In a, in a plane, bad news, right? And it took out both engines, severely damaged both engines. And so the plane was going down. And so the pilot, you know, he had to make dozens of decisions, maybe even more than that, in, in a two to three minute span before the plane would go down. You know, where do you land? Is there another landing, is there another airport? Is there a street we can land it on? Nope. This is crowded. This is LaGuardia, right, in New York City. The only place was the Hudson River. He ultimately landed safely on the Hudson River with no loss of life. You know, the, the pilot, he, so he had no opportunity to consult a manual, right? He, he didn't have a chance to just open up the manual and flip through and try and figure out how to, how to do this because they would have crashed long before they had gotten there, before he probably even found the page where it would talk about what to do in a situation like that. Instead, he just had to act. 
But you can't just act without having that foundation, that foundational character, right? Without that, the years of training and experience that it took for him to just react automatically and to make the right decisions that would save all of those lives. It's about that training. It's about those experiences. It's about forming habits in order to cultivate the kind of cool-headed, courageous, determined character to be able to avoid that catastrophe and save lives. We apply that to our Christian life, our life of following Jesus. This is the nature of, of what it means to cross that bridge. Now, it's about cultivating the character, cultivating the virtue to live as we were created to live, to be transformed to the point where the life of Jesus flows naturally from us, even unthinkingly from us. That's what we're going to dig into throughout this series. Into the cultivation of this Christ-like character seeking to faithfully journey across that bridge called life. As we begin this series, though, I want to encourage you to think about what you are here for. Do you, do you ask that question? What's, what's my purpose? What's the meaning of this life? What, you know, what am I here for? Ask yourself, are you whole? Are you complete? Are you truly happy? Or are you distracted? Is there anything you lack? And I encourage you to take heart in asking those questions. I know sometimes when I ask those questions, you know, I have those little moments. I ask myself those questions and I, I get awfully discouraged, right? But I want to encourage you to take heart because we're journeying through this together. It's the beauty of the church, right? We journey together. And we journey together in the mercy and in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to develop, to train ourselves, right? To develop that character of Christ in each and every one of us and in us as a community as a whole. My prayer is that as we journey together, uh, you would just experience Christ new, in a new way. That you would experience that transformation. You know, and you know, f- you know, feeling the presence of God, that's just an effect of God actually being there. God, God's with you. God's walking with you every step of your journey. I just pray that we would all acknowledge it, see it, and respond so that we may be made new and transformed. Sing along with me. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. Just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door for us. He said, come to the table, come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. 
Come to the table. 